Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 81 of the podcast. It's the 19th of July, 2017, as I record this intro. And this week, the book chat is back. Emma Marie Ford and I chat about the book, The Gardener and the Carpenter, what the new science of child development tells us about the relationship between parents and children by Alison Gopnik. Emma and I both really enjoyed the book and have a fun time chatting about it through the lens of unschooling. There's really interesting stuff there. As a personal update, I'm happily back to juggling my three favorite balls at the moment this podcast, uh, writing my book about the unschooling journey, and working with Anne and Anna to create the online version of the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit. Uh, They are all really long-term projects, but I have a deadline now to get my book to my editor by the middle of August, so that's some extra motivation there. And Michael's on vacation this week. He drove down to New York City to uh, visit Lissy and Jacob, and it sounds like they're having a great time. And I'd like to thank everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. A big welcome to new patrons, Phoebe Spanier, Lizzie Ware, and Dan Kadzow. Thanks so much for joining us. The private group for patrons is now up and running, and it'll be fun to hear what they think about the book and my conversation with Emma this week. If you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring and schooling. And this week's quote is from Alison Gopnik from the book. The mind of a human child working in concert with the minds of the people caring for him is the most flexible and powerful learning device in the known universe. And I think she nails it here. Children thrive and learn like crazy when they feel secure and safe engaging with people that care about them, meaning they trust them. It's what unschooling parents see unfolding right in front of them every day. It's so interesting to me when academic research happens upon the same findings that we see in our lives. It reminds me of something Brene Brown shared in her book, Rising Strong. Today, I proudly call myself a researcher storyteller because I believe the most useful knowledge about human behavior is based on people's lived experiences. We are living our lives with our children, and what we glean about human behavior through our experiences is useful and valid knowledge. It's also really fun, as you'll hear in our conversation today, when there are so many connections between what we observe about children and what others are seeing, which is the case with a lot of the research that uh, Allison talks about in this book. So it's not about validating our experiences. Our experiences are valid all on their own, but about finding connections that weave alongside our observations, making these truths about children and learning all the more stronger. 
Uh, Pretty often in unschooling circles, we talk about how the conclusions from studies on children's behavior are suspect because they are studying school-age children, which means that artificial environment is hardwired into the results. And that always reminds me of Carol Black's classic quote, Collecting data on human learning based on children's behavior in school is like collecting data on killer whales based on their behavior at SeaWorld. But in this case, Allison studies young children before they hit school age. So it's really interesting to see that a lot of her findings mesh so well with the experiences of countless unschooling families. We know that the incredible learning she finds with young children, seeing them as natural scientists, extends to older children as well, as long as they aren't acculturated into the conventional school system. It makes sense, right? And now let's get on to the book chat with Emma. Hi everyone, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Emma Marie Ford. Hi Emma. Hi Pam. Hello, it is so nice to have you back for another book chat episode. These are really fun. Yeah, thanks. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I really enjoyed this one. Anyway, so to let you guys know, this time Emma and I are talking about The Gardener and the Carpenter, what the new science of child development tells us about the relationship between parents and children by Alison Gopnik, and it was published last year. So a bit of info, Allison is a psychology professor at the University of California, Berkeley, and her research explores how young children come to know the world around them. She's written a number of books, including The Philosophical Baby, What Children's Minds Tell Us About Truth, Love, and the Meaning of Life, and The Scientist in the Crib, Minds, Brains, and How Children Learn. So I wanted to share with you guys the book description for The Gardener and the Carpenter. Caring deeply about our children is part of what makes us human. Yet the thing we call, quote, parenting is a surprisingly new invention. In the past 30 years, the concept of parenting and the multi-billion dollar industry surrounding it have transformed child care into obsessive, controlling, and goal-oriented labor intended to create a particular kind of child and therefore a particular kind of adult. In the book, Alison Gobnick, Gopnik argues that the familiar 21st century picture of parents and children is profoundly wrong. It's not just based on bad science, it's bad for kids and parents too. Drawing on the study of human evolution and her own cutting-edge scientific research into how children learn, Gopnik shows that although caring for children is profoundly important, it is not a matter of shaping them to turn out a particular way. Children are designed to be messy and unpredictable, playful and imaginative, and very different both from their parents and from each other. The variability and flexibility of childhood lets them innovate, create, and survive in an unpredictable world. Parenting won't make children learn, but caring parents let children learn by creating secure, loving environments. Now, that sounds pretty interesting, right? (laughs) Now, uh, I'm, well, I'm just going to start us off by uh, talking about the two models of parenting that she's talking about, the gardener and the carpenter. Uh, with the carpenter model, parents are working with the goal of producing a particular kind of adult. 
they are essentially trying to shape their child into a final product that fits what the vision they had in mind to begin with. So for them, parenting is about control. And there are many parenting how-to books these days that promise if you do X, Y, and Z, uh, that will make a substantial difference in the way your child turns out. And this idea is so pervasive and seductive that conventionally, at least, it almost seems self-evident, right? That's, of course, the way you parent. And Allison explains that this parenting model is also the default model for much of education. She makes a great point that nowadays when people become parents, they typically have had lots of experience with schooling, but little experience with caregiving. So when parents or policymakers hear her talk and other science, other scientists that she research does research with talk about how much children learn, um, the people listening, they often conclude that, well, then we should teach them even more because they learn so well. And they assume that we should be teaching them the way they do in school. And she writes, quote, but children actually learn more from the unconscious details of what caregivers do than from any of the conscious manipulations of parenting. So that's carpenter parenting there. And on the other hand, when we garden, we create a protected and nurturing space for plants to flourish. She explains that a good garden is constantly changing as it adapts to the changing circumstances. And a good gardener, quotes, quote, works to create fertile soil that can sustain a whole ecosystem of different plants with different strengths and beauties and with different weaknesses and difficulties, too. So in this way, being a good parent won't transform children into smart or happy or successful adults, but it can help create a new generation that is robust and adaptable and resilient, better able to deal with the inevitable, unpredictable changes that face them in the future. Now, she also dives into the rewards of being a parent, and it's not your child's grades or trophies. Uh, quote, they come from the moment by moment physical and psychological joy of being with this particular child in that child's moment by moment joy in being with you. She says the purpose of loving children in particular is to give those helpless young humans, human beings, a rich, stable, safe environment, an environment in which variation, innovation and novelty can blossom. And then by the end of the introduction to the book, she set us up with this. So our job as parents is not to make a particular kind of child. Instead, our job is to provide a protected space of love, safety, and stability in which children of many unpredictable kinds can flourish. Our job is not to shape our children's minds. It's to let those minds explore all the possibilities that the world allows. Our job is not to tell children how to play. It's to give them the toys and pick the toys up again after the kids are done. We can make children learn. We can't make children learn, but we can let them learn. So I was just kind of in love by the end of the introduction because that sounds so much like the same kind of attitude and perspective that unschooling parents bring to the table and to their relationships with their children, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean... I thought this, yeah, it was it was great, really. I mean, I must, um, it really fits so well with unschooling the approach and the research, really, which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. 
I know. I love the way um, she's talking about moving away from control over children to like nurturing them from underneath. Because for me, that's all kind of how I've always seen that seen it. You know, the the controlling. They they talk about helicopter parenting, right? And to me, that's always like hovering above, trying to control things. And with unschooling, I always talk about how we're we're um, foundational support, helping from underneath the roots, supporting from below rather than. Um, controlling from above. So I really loved her gardening analogy because I thought that really fit well. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking there's a few ideas there. I mean, one of one of them is about, you know, being like a gardener and creating an ecosystem um, where you're really focusing on, you know, like the environment that you're creating for your children. So, you know, like it's and, and, you're, and part of that is, you know, one of the main parts of that is the relationship. Um, which I think Alison sort of like really picked up on um, mm-hmm. throughout the book. And I think that's the part for me which really fits well with unschooling and also um, in terms of nurturing the relationship and your child's emotional development. And it really fits in with, you know, that learning happens, uh, emerges really from, you know, the relationship between the parent and the child. And actually teaching a child is actually counterproductive um so I thought that was yeah the 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 analogy of the the um gardener you know just it, she picked on up on so many important points through through that I know what's really cool is when you think about it as the environment and as a garden and she talked about um the wide variety of you know flowers and and plants and that that can grow so it so well encompasses the whole creating an environment um for your child to thrive in that you know if they're introverted extroverted or wherever they are on that scale in the moment you know um just the wide variety of individual children and and she, and she talks so much about how um you're connecting with this individual child right and and that's um who you're gardening for I mean, yeah, because I, and when I said it that way, that seems like a little bit more um, controlling as in you're trying. Oh, she came up with um, hot housing, right? When you're trying to garden for a particular kind of plant, right? That's not what you're getting at either, because that's the whole point that children um, grow and change over time, right? So you can't, you don't know. You'll be pleasantly surprised, you know, when, when this blossom comes up or what direction the next branch grows to right I just love how open the analogy is yeah and kind of um the the idea of a wild garden as well I really you know like I like that where you know where you want lots of different plants um thriving and that that's what makes it um really uh the the whole environment you know is nurturing unique and individual children and that in terms of in the you know in evolutionary history you don't want um everyone to be the same you want uh you want diversity and difference because that's what actually enables us to thrive and i think that's what she was saying throughout childhood that you know it's actually beneficial to have you know you don't want all the children to be the same learning all the same things at the same time you actually want to sort of like facilitate and nurture you know the development of different aspects of a child's personality and the things that they're interested in and it's through that 
you know, diversity, that cultural innovation and change like really becomes possible. Um, so, I, yeah, I really liked that kind of aspect to it. Yeah, because it's an analogy that works on on all levels, right? Like from individual child right through childhood per se, mm-hmm. and you know the diversity of the ge- of a generation of children as well. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was really cool. I really liked a, a point she made too about how trying to shape their children into worthy adults becomes a great source of anxiety and guilt and frustration for parents, right? Yet that is what um, we're all feeling pressured to do. We see that everywhere. And that for this kind of parenting for children, it leads to, she called it an oppressive cloud of hovering expectations. Mm -hmm. And we talk about how expectations get in the way so much. So it was really cool to see her make that connection as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, it, yeah, it's really interesting how I think when we consciously try and sort of teach children and it actually, um, it kind of shuts them down rather than enabling them to open up and explore, uh, you know, the world and the things that they're interested in and how Alison really sort of takes us through some of that the research that's showing actually how children are learning sort of like implicitly and um, intuitively in relationships every day. Um, So it's not kind of so much about, um, you know, what we are consciously trying to teach them, but what they're actually picking up all the time. I really liked how um, she did describe quite a bit of the research, right? And how, Mm. how it was set up. And I, I found it, uh, really interesting to read to see how um, how they managed to get you know below the directions to allow the, to see to observe the child freely like making choices and to be able to um, set up inferences for them right because mm-hmm. that's how you saw them learning them figuring things out and they saw young kids figuring out so much stuff that's why you know when when we talk to unschooling parents and we say you know uh relax the control for a bit and and watch your children and that you always this is what they're going to see right they're going to see their kids being so capable in situations and picking up so much information and mm-hmm. and using it so intelligently um but be, when we're so busy trying to control them, we never give them the space to do that, right? So that's why, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like, relax for a bit. It's the weekend for like the next six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and watch your kids because it's amazing. And and so, yeah, it was really fun reading about um, their her experiments. Uh, the other thing I found really interesting was in the chapter on the evolution of childhood, Allison writes, uh, quote, the mind of a human child working in concert with the minds of the people caring for him is the most flexible and powerful learning device in the known universe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting was um, also was her description of how natural learning and cultural transmission encourages feedback loops. It it caught my attention because uh, a couple of weeks ago I was talking to Dan Kadzow and he also talked about um, cultural transmission. And you can tell um, in one of her previous books, Allison describes children as little scientists 
always experimenting to learn more about both their physical and their psychological world. Um, they try something, they see what happens, and then they incorporate that experience moving forward. That's uh, how we talk about learning so much with unschooling, and that's what she's meaning too by feedback loops. So when she talks about children from an evolutionary perspective, um, she explains that trying to consciously shape how your children will turn out is futile and self-defeating because we can't know what kind of challenges our children will face in the future. So if we're trying to, um, you know, carpenter work them into either our own image or in the image of our current ideals, we might actually keep them from adapting to changes in the future. And what I loved about that quote was it got me twice when I was reading it because uh, she wrote in the image of our current ideals. And that so hits it on the head because so often we expect perfection of our children, even when and sometimes especially when we can't reach it ourselves. Right. We want our children to be better than we are or were. Right. So much pressure on them. And then the second piece, it reminded me of the quote um, from, it's often attributed to Alvin Toffler, but in his book, Future Shock, he was quoting Herbert Gerjoy. Anyway, he wrote, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And she emphasizes just what incredible learners children are through watching and listening and imitating and trying things out. All the things that unschooling parents see in action every day and that the ability to learn flexibly and to adjust to new circumstances are more important than ever. And that the relationship between parents and children are key to creating that nourishing environment in which children can thrive. And that Mm. sounds so similar, doesn't it? Like we're always talking about the importance of the relationship that, you know, what you don't even have to look at the learning or look for the learning. When you focus on that um, strong relationship with your child, all the rest of that stuff flows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's partly what I felt was so interesting about the, the book as well as about how much children are learning, you know, through the relationship and how they're learning sort of like unconsciously and intuitively. And um, one of the the research studies that she mentioned um, in the book was looking at the different attachment styles and how, you know, it's the the, the type of relationship that you have with your child actually influences how they learn, like from you. So um, they were looking at, uh, they looked at children's attachment at a year old and then again at four years old. and they, they found that the children who had um, a secure attachment were more likely to um, learn from their parent in, you know, versus a stranger. And um, equally, the, and whereas the, the children that had like an avoidant attachment, which uh, meant that more of an insecure type of attachment with their parent, um, were equally likely to learn from a, a stranger or their parent. Um but um, and it was just it's just quite interesting in terms of, you know, what that says about, you know, like the importance of nurturing relationships with our children. And, you know, like, as you mentioned, you know, unschooling and unschooling, we really focus on on that. And um, it's something that um, Gordon Neufeld sort of talks a bit, quite a bit about as well. He's a sort of a clinical psychologist and um, a developmental 
um, theorist and researcher and um, he always emphasizes you know how important it is whether a child really learns at home or at school that they have that connection and that attachment um, with whether it's with their parent or their teacher because that's how children learn you know and I think this is what Alison was saying in the book in which the research shows is that um, how you know like we're really designed to learn um, you know like from our parents and the people that we're close you know we're close to oh yeah go ahead no, I was just going to, and that's how, you know, like we, we um, build on cultural traditions, you know, that we learn about, you know, like the, the, uh, the what's important in our culture. Um, and we, we, how sensitive children really are to picking up cues from the adults around them. And, you know, just that's how they're learning all the time. Yeah, that's a huge piece. You know what's interesting from what you said? Um, I can't remember when reading that piece um, how uh, avoidant attachments um, are more likely to learn from other people other than their parents, right? Because you've got that avoidant. And is that, that's almost, you know, when they talk about separating, how important it is to separate from your child when they go to school, right? Because they need to kind of break that attachment so that the child will start learning from somebody else. Mm -hmm. That was very curious. Yeah. And and I think that's another important point is that if when children go to school, you know, like you, I don't know what it's, you know, in, in the UK, there's usually say you've got 30, 28, 30, maybe 35 children, like to one teacher in the class. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're thinking about like, if a child learns best when they're attached to someone in a relationship with them, like not all of those children are going to probably form a close attachment with that teacher. Um, and so they're not, you know, it, it leaves them more vulnerable. Um, whereas at home, um, you know, it's possible to create a, you know, more, more nurturing attachment. So you, you've got that connection. I think sometimes in, you know, like in schools that can, the importance of that relationship can get lost and it's so fundamental for learning really. But then you see in schools that children aren't, you know, necessarily always um, able to learn, um, you know, like as effectively as they might um, if they were feeling sort of secure and um, attached. Yeah, that was one thing that stood out for me in the book, um, because she talks quite a bit, um, you know, and mentions those relationships between children and childcare workers and teachers. She gave them a name. She called them allo parents, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she talks about that bond um, that develops, which makes sense on the surface. But, you know, when you think about it, like you said, in the classroom and in childcare um, environments, I think it seems like the reality is that with so many kids to manage, they don't, those adults who are caring for children don't have the time to develop a secure enough bond with each individual child, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. that really, I mean, even years ago when my kids were at school, that isn't something that I saw, you know, even, even then there was still, you know. 27, 30, 35 kids in a classroom. And and it was all about classroom management. It wasn't about trying to create um, bonds um, mm-hmm. and connections, like mm-hmm. e- connection being a even lighter kind of bond 
that wasn't, mm-hmm. it was all about managing the child's behavior and their activities, what they were doing, not about trying to create a connection with them that would help them um, learn, really, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And, it, and it seems that it's also, and when you haven't got those connections, um, it's harder, I think, for, I mean, children thrive when they're feeling secure and attached. So when they're, they're not, um, you know, when they're, when they're not feeling attached and connected, then it's it's harder for them to learn. Um, so they're not as relaxed and playful and um, exuberant as they might be otherwise. Yeah, I, yeah it's like you, you can't, um, you don't feel safe enough to relax and kind of get in the flow um, of the moment or the activity to learn because you're always kind of feeling protective. You always have to watch out uh, for your environment, you know, um, who might be teasing who or, you know, um, what the teacher means by this. I mean, it just seems like you always have to kind of wear a protective shell in a classroom mm. or, or wear a personality that fits best. You know, you're kind of mm. hiding behind whatever the kind of perfect student you're supposed to be in, in that environment that the teacher's looking for, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, and I guess that's where she did sort of talk about it as well, about how, um, you know, their variability um, in the classroom isn't always um, nurtured or valued and that what can happen is that, um, you know, students that maybe have a different kind of attention um, focus or... Uh, maybe uh, learning to read at a different rate or in a different, you know, like in a different way or a different speed. Um, sometimes they can be, you know, kind of picked out and labelled um, as having mm-hmm. some kind of learning difference or disability. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, like that we're not really um, valuing variability within those contexts, and so that it can become sort of medicalised or pathologised um, when actually. It would be more um, a, a better idea to kind of enc- encourage that variability, and I think that's something in the education system um, as it currently is. In many cases, that it means that it, you know it, that those opportunities aren't there, um, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why um, I think unschooling is such a you know like a wonderful thing is because you can really encourage, you know, each child's individuality um, and you can really nurture their interests um, and passions in a a way that is very difficult um, in, you know, like in a more sort of mainstream context when there's lots of other children who are also wanting to, you know, who need to be cared for and looked after at the same time. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't focus on, um, I guess that's why, you know, the, the, the bond and the connection, it's really not an environment um, where you can even expect an individual teacher to be able to individualize things, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's why it, it doesn't work out that way. And yeah, I, <laughs> I really loved her discussion about um, variability and why that's so valuable. And, and she did go quite a bit right into the whole evolutionary perspective and talking uh, about different animals and stuff and, and how, uh, 
how you how they how they learn and and um, their relationships with their parents and yeah that was all all really interesting stuff that that she shared because mm. I thought when she talked about the animals I know she mentioned about the the sort of like the Caledonian crows and how they yeah. actually have a longer um, period of infancy you know infancy than um, other animals and that they're actually more intelligent than when you sort of like contrast with a lot of other species and they spend a lot of those those first two years playing and experimenting and exploring um you know their environment also tool use um and how you know that the 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 parents are really there to sort of facilitate that and they're patient and they um you know they provide that sort of holding context so that um they can you know experiment and explore and the parents provide um during that time um yeah, yeah quite i love i love different. that piece uh, you know when she's talking about how you know they the the parents the mother the crows they let they let the kids play with the tools and and they use them wrong so many different mm-hmm. times right and that that was okay because they're just figuring it out eventually yeah I loved mm-hmm. the discussion and the contrast with the varying lengths of um, childhood basically mm-hmm. right For, uh, mm-hmm. of dependence right as you said mm-hmm. you know they they feed their children their <laughs> baby crows longer than other animals do because the skills that they want their children to their baby crows to develop um take time right <laughs> yeah and, and that and, was an interesting way to look at it yeah and the longer i mean i, I think what's nice about that is almost is, is that you know the, the more um in I guess the, the crows who show more sort of ability to problem solve and to develop their sort of skills and their learning, you know, all the time um, from the environment and, and from changes in the environment, um, that there's much more sort of flexibility and um, openness and potential to deal with change. And how, I guess, Alison was talking about how really in human childhood, um, it it makes more sense to foster those abilities and to provide us a context where we can actually stand back and allow a a child more freedom to explore um, and experiment. And I think the research that she was drawing on really showed actually that when a teacher, you know, they had children in in an experimental situation where there was a toy, for example, that had um, different uses when when a teacher explained those sort of to the, the children um they were then less likely to explore the other things that the, the toy could do so it kind of uh, drew their focus and attention to certain things rather than sort of like enabling them to have a mo- more open um you know like relationship to what they were exploring and um yeah i think that i mean she gave lots of examples like that uh, throughout the mm-hmm. book um which showed you know sometimes it, when the parent can sort of provide space um, and a nurturing environment that children actually do uh, are more likely to explore and learn and yeah yeah enrich um them you know like what they what they know um mm-hmm. so I thought that was I thought that, that was quite well yeah mm-hmm. it was super cool because it was so interesting to see the way they set it up and what they saw because I I see that you know, um, now that my kids are older, um, having grown up unschooling and not being told 
exactly how like how to use something in that when they uh, and their friends like approach a new situation I see um, their schooled friends just kind of hang back and wait to be told what to do Mm -hmm. Um, whereas uh, unschooled kids and you know my kids and other unschooled kids I've seen out and about are just so much more um, proactive They'll just they'll go and they'll try something and and they'll um, experiment or they'll go ask someone or they'll figure, you know, they're they're comfortable just to continue to explore. There was a point where she talked about how um, it was American children and I forget the other nationality, but that because um, uh, American Mm. parenting is so nowadays is so carpenter focused um they they saw that uh, american kids will just sit back and wait to be told what to do or how to do something because it's happened to them enough times they know that's kind of the only way right mm-hmm. they just wait mm-hmm. they don't uh, observe the situation the environment pick out this they don't pick they don't see the clues that are in their environment there are always so many clues around us um, for things. And uh, it was amazing to see that when people are observing, they see the the same thing that we see with um, unschooled and schooled kids, that schooled kids will just kind of wait until they're told what to do, when to do it, however, um, mm-hmm. versus noticing all the things that are going on around them. They don't they don't see so much in their environment because they just don't bother looking. They're just waiting around to be told. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I know the bit that you mean there. Where I think it was in Indian children, and ah, yeah. um, that she, she was sort of saying how um, in some of those yeah experiments that they did that the um, the American children were later to wait um, until the teacher was ready to teach them, whereas the children the Indian the children from the Indian culture were more likely to um, be learning while their sibling was, um, yeah. you know, l- that learning was it, yeah. <laughs> They would yeah, pay attention when somebody else was being shown something yeah. and they would already have it figured out by the time it was their turn. Uh, whereas the other kids wouldn't even be paying attention to somebody else being shown things. They're just waiting their turn. Yeah, that I was so it, fascinating. <laughs> it is, and I think it's really I'm interested in how, how powerful culture can be in shaping even things like our attention and our focus. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, like given providing children with a different, um, you know, opportunities to learn a different way of being can actually um, really influence those kind of things on a, you know, like on an unconscious level and also on a cultural, you know, like on a cultural level. Um, yeah, no, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, it really is. I want to jump back just a little bit because you, you, you mentioned this in passing a bit ago, um, and it's something that we talk pretty regularly in the Q&A episodes about how our children so often pick up so much from us, even when we mm-hmm. don't explicitly say anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's maybe in our body language, even our word choices or our tone. And I, I really did love that Al- Allison mentioned that as well. Um, she wrote, in some ways, at least, your children may actually know more about you than you do yourself. Children are tuned in to details of how parents act that you may not even notice. For example, preschoolers notice whether you say, let's see what this does, 
or let me show you what this does. That ties into what we were just talking about. It's the the way we culturally present things, right? And it reminded me um, the episode last week. Uh, Kelly shared a story um, about one of how one of her young acting students, after watching her in a TV show, came back the next week to class and mentioned that he was surprised to hear that her voice was the same, realizing that she does, doesn't talk to them in a teacher voice because mm-hmm. he's just so used to the adults having a teacher voice. And so many of them, I know, we would, I mean, very nicely tease uh, my sister-in-law because she had a teacher voice when she was talking to the younger kids. But she didn't even notice that she was doing it, right? It, mm-hmm. It's just something so natural. But kids pick all that stuff up. They can mm-hmm. really, really pick up the nuances of a mm-hmm. situation so, so well. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I think she. I think she went on to say something like, um, that they might know actually what you mean better than you do yourself. You know, yeah, that they're all, yeah. all the time. <laughs> Um, they're alert and sensitive and picking up these cues um, that we probably aren't, you can't actually really be aware of all the time on a conscious level. And mm-hmm. she's saying that's how it should be, um, you know, that we, that it's more helpful to actually just focus on the relationship and who you are as a person, you know, with your children and like the relationship than it is actually to focus on sort of specific sort of teaching strategies I think that's why so much of moving to unschooling is all like the parents' um, internal work, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's all about um, figuring out who we want to be in this relationship, right? And realizing all the different ways we are inadvertently um, exerting control. Um, Because that is the right way for kids to learn, right? Because that's the reality. If that's the tone of your voice, that's what you really think. Mm-hmm. Right. If mm-hmm. if that's the 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 teacher voice that you um, slide into when you're talking to, with kids, you're treating them as a different kind of or class of person. Right. Mm-hmm. They can tell. I mean, this is their reality. So what they're learning isn't wrong they're what they're learning is real. It's just it's just us learning. Is that what we intend? You know, mm-hmm. is is understanding um these things that we may be uh projecting and is that what we mean and is that, or is that something that we would like to change so so much of the of moving to unschooling for me was observing myself too right um so that and taking that moment before an automatic reaction or an automatic um just phrase that comes out or whatever to to align my intentions with my actions if that makes sense (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it yeah it does it makes it really makes sense and I think part of uh before having children um I mean I didn't I had you know sort of psychotherapy um as part of sort of trying to process some of the you know the ways of relating and sort of being um with other people and um, trying to make sort of more conscious things in my life that perhaps had been unconscious, but even you know those unconscious things can actually determine um, how you behave um, and mm-hmm. relate to other people if you're not really aware of it. And I know that I mean I think Alison was really saying in the book, you know, you, you don't need to be aware of all this stuff really. I mean this is going to be yeah. happening anyway. Um, but I do agree that it 
can be helpful to be as reflective as you possibly can to avoid, um, you know, going down some of the, I don't know, some of the, you know, issues or roots or maybe, you know, if you are used to talking in a kind of a teacherish way or um, being sort of more directive, um, if you can become aware of that, I think it, it can help, um, you know, because then it leaves a bit more space open uh, for different uh, ways of relating to emerge. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and, and the other piece too is when, again, focusing on that relationship um, and, and that connection, you get to a point as well where your kids uh, will point these things out to you too, right? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. That's right. You, you are you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we can always strive to be the, the kind of parent and person that we want to be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're always growing and changing forever, I think. Um, so... Definitely. There were times, too, when my kids would point something out. I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, let's do that over. That's kind of not what I meant or or Mm -hmm. whatever. But um, that's the great thing about the relationship is Mm -hmm. is um, when you're that well connected and the relationship is trusting and open enough that you can have these conversations that they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. mentioning when they notice something mm-hmm. um i think that that's great too and it's a, it's another um it's another feedback loop right when she was talking about learning from your environment um and how you learn about the people that you're with uh their observations about how they're receiving whatever you're saying or doing is mm-hmm. another feedback loop hey you know i don't i didn't really mean for you to take that from what i said or did so I'm going to learn that for next time I might try something different, right? Mm, yeah. And I, yeah, I guess that's where the, the variability comes into it as well, you know, so that you don't have to, uh, not everything needs to be prescribed, but if you can yeah. you know, have that space um, and the dialogue, um, it allows new possibilities to emerge. Um, and yeah, I guess. That- I was gonna, sorry, can, I was just saying in conversations, um, which is, is that okay for if I just say that? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it reminds me because they, they do talk, um, she did talk in the book about some research that they've done, and there was something called the, the Child's, C H I L D S, D E S, Child's Database, and how they looked at 6,000 yeah. um, early questions that. Um, you know conversations actually between yeah. parents and children and how the children were asking like four-year-olds were asking questions and they wanted to know really you know why were they asking these questions like and it they looked at all these conversations and analyzed them and they they found that the children really were wanting to have their questions answered but they wanted to have them answered in a meaningful way um with reasonable explanations and so that they actually they could see that the children actually deepening their knowledge and so they weren't just asking it you know like for any reason it was just that they genuinely were wanting to learn and it was shown how actually naturally curious um children are and how within those kind of questions and answers in the conversations there was so much rich learning um that was taking place and um that kind of really uh, reminded me of some work that I'd read by um, Alan Thomas, who's a UK, uh, he's a clinical psych, actually, de- uh, he's um, a developmental psychologist, um, but he's looked into um, home education 
uh, quite substantially and he's looked at how parents and children learn um, at home and he says in his research that one of the main ways that children are learning is through these sort of like conversations that happen every day um, you know from when you get up in the morning at breakfast you know just just chat just you know like just all the time um, that's where the learning's taken place so I thought that was quite interesting that Alison mentioned about this research and um, how that kind of um, fits there Yeah, no, the uh, I I really love that too because I mean we see that, but you hear so many people are um, you know they think they feel like their kids are just kind of being more annoying than it when they ask you know why 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 you know over and over again, but they saw that they were really truly curious and wanted to know those answers and would kept wanting to dig and dig and dig until it it made sense for them right mm -hmm. and we see that so often um with unschooling kids when, when you haven't what's that study um that you know uh, a toddler has her her hears the word no like 300 times a day or something like that mm -hmm. um but yeah, it's crazy how much, um, oh, and Dan mentioned this too, you know, how much we shut them down when they're younger, uh -huh. right? Um, uh -huh. And and try to make them almost like like adults, right? We want seen and not heard kind of, kind of deal. Um, and we want to stop their exploration. No, 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 no. And then on the other end of the scale, when they're teenagers, we want to keep them under control, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the opposite of letting them start to spread their wings when they're ready, et cetera. But yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Um, the stuff she, she was sharing about those conversations because when it's again what what we ask um parents who want to come to unschooling move to unschooling um to give their children that space and to be available um for those conversations and the important thing is being available when the child asks because that's when they're curious right mm -hmm. not putting them off oh you know we'll look at that after dinner mm -hmm. or whenever yeah sometimes that is necessary you know sometimes you really are but so often we just knee jerk say no later right mm -hmm. um to realize that when they're curious in that moment that's when they're going to learn so much about it because that's where their brain is spinning right now right <laughs> yeah it's um, one of the things because um, when I when I was reading this um, a, a little while ago, I actually got a little notebook and started to write down Lillian Rose's questions um, oh, because I cool. realised that every day, you know, from almost in the moment they wake up, they're asking questions and some of them I can't always answer. So, you mm -hmm. know, because maybe I just don't know, um, you know, not, but I think the, the key for me is like trying to or not, you know, taking what they're asking seriously and sort of saying you know like maybe I don't know what the answer is to that but we'll we can find out together so I started to collect mm -hmm. all their questions so that you know because often actually sometimes it would happen when we were driving somewhere and ah, they'd have yeah. like, all these questions like oh you know like um, what is it what why is Sunday called Sunday or um you know when we like did tigers make the life and just like look there were so many questions that were coming up and 
I just thought <laughs> I need to kind of try and hold on to some of these because it felt like, um, you know, like some of it is in the moment and some of it's nice to be able to go back and say, you know, like, oh, I've had a look at this or should we have a look at this together and kind of exploring things um, together um, like that. So, yeah, because I think when, you know, like I when children ask lots of questions, it, there is a tendency to feel, oh, I haven't got time for that. I don't, you know, like it's not serious or maybe even sometimes um, think about it in a, you know, like dismiss um, those questions. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I just think it's really important to show and to communicate that you are taking those questions seriously. Um, and I think that's what, that, you know, that this um, research with the database was really showing that, yeah, you know, children's questions are serious. And when they are, they're, out, they're answered um, in a way that's meaningful and explanatory, that they will then move on to something else. And then actually they'll ask maybe more questions that are deeper um, in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting how she, you know, by drawing on the research, she really picks up on how children are learning like the processes that are happening in these everyday kind of conversations um yeah which is what kind of uh, unschooling is kind of all about um I know that was the coolest thing like there were just so so many connections with unschooling (laughs) and and when she was you know she's diving into relationships she's diving into how uh, young children learn and so much of it is is what we see in action with our kids right um, mm. that was just so interesting to me you know that that um, and that's the one thing I find fascinating that through research they can discover all these things that we see happen naturally um, yet I, I, I'm going, so So why don't they do anything about this? If this is how children learn and how it helps mm-hmm. to support their learning, et cetera. But that's why I pulled out that quote that, that she said, that when she goes around and she talks to um, parents and, and teachers, uh, et cetera, at school, uh, principals, mm-hmm. et cetera, that they take, the message that they take away is, Oh, well, we need to teach them more then. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating mm. how we just see through our lens, right? Mm. It's so hard. I mean, and look how long it takes for us to um, start to break away the school lens that we bring to it. You know, we talk about de-schooling needing probably for parents at least a year for the majority of it. There's always going to be um, new issues that come up down the road, right? Because... Mm. Um, the conventional messages are just around us and are so strong. Um, but it's fascinating to see how um, people bring their filter and see everything um, through that filter. And, and and you know what was fascinating for me? Okay, so I'm going to jump here because um, Allison, too, still had that filter because she so clearly explains the negative effects of the conventional carpenter parenting style mm-hmm. and gives lots of snippets from her study showing how well children learn and grow into themselves with the gardener mm-hmm. style parent. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, she talks about many of the challenges of the school system and how it closes closely mimics the carpenter parenting model Mm -hmm. and yet not once does she mention homeschooling Mm -hmm. let alone unschooling right Mm -hmm. 
So I wanted to share just a couple of the school related quotes because I thought they were fascinating and interesting. And uh, one of them, she writes, a standardized test score is the apotheosis of the goal directed child shaping carpentry picture of schooling. The idea that schools should be designed to turn all children into creatures with particular characteristics. What schools do best is teach children how to go to school. Instead, schools should be places where children can genuinely exercise their continuing capacities for discovery. They should be places where children can master real-world skills. And interestingly, she goes on to describe reading, writing, and calculating as scholastic skills. So she separates them from real-world skills. But, I mean, so many of us unschooling parents have seen that those skills are woven into our culture. And we've seen that they, too, can be learned um, just by being in the real world. They're part of our culture, and, and those skills will um, will come up and be of interest mm-hmm. for kids, and they will pick them up. Um, there was uh, this piece about her observation of students uh, in her college classes. So she wrote, by the time they arrive in our classes, many Berkeley undergraduates are absolute matahoros of test-taking. It's no wonder we're gravely disappointed and they are resentfully surprised when we ask them to actually be apprentice scientists or scholars instead. And that's just another way of showing why unschoolers who choose to go to college are so often appreciated by Mm -hmm. their college professors because they grew up continuing to be the apprentice scientists that Allison sees in young children rather than taking the rest of their childhood um, and being sidetracked in the school system kind of learning. Mm. So not learning about the world, but learning about how to be a good student. (laughs) And then lastly, there's this one. We also shouldn't think of preschool only in terms of school readiness, as if the only point of caring for young children is to make them into older children who will do better in the particular strange institution of school. Mm. So all that... It makes it so so curious to me that her solution, but it so often seems to be the case with academics, is to try and change the school system, right? She says that yeah. school is more and more essential for success. So, like, to me, that seemed to be where I think she's stuck, you know, because inside the system, it probably looks that way. But from outside, we're moving further and further away from that, right? And I think it's also using a very conventional um, definition of the idea of success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, for me and it, for anyone who reads the book, I think <laughs> because of what we've been talking about all before this moment um, – when you're talking with them, it's pretty easy to talk about how all these changes that she's um, talking about, the way children learn and being able to, how we can support um, children's learning, um, not trying to control it, the value of the relationship, et cetera, um, that this is not the way the school system is. And, you know, we, we're choosing unschooling because this is the way we want to live with our children right now, mm-hmm. right? I just thought that was just so fascinating that she had all um, this research that she's been doing um, and and she has all these interesting observations about the school system itself and how that's not working and, and not meshing with the way children learn, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And yet school is still where 
she ended up staying. Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> it, no, it is, it, it is interesting and I guess slightly frustrating because, um, <laughs> yeah, you it, it was a critique, wasn't it, really, of sort of mainstream um, dominant sort of cultural narrative around school and education that she provided. Um, yeah, and she didn't really move beyond that. I guess it was a critique. I didn't feel that... Um, that she was going for solutions? Yeah, I guess. Except um, for the part where she said school is more and more essential for success. <laughs> like, how does that match? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess I, I was thinking about um, the examples she gave of companies like Google and is it um, Pixar and how mm-hmm. they've cultivated sort of play spaces into their everyday, you know, environments and sort of seeing um really focusing on the importance of the environment and making opportunities to play and for for people like parents to facilitate um children's play um as being beneficial but yeah she doesn't she all of this well that's both ends of it right yeah yeah, young children and at work (laughs) but you're still stuck with the and even like she said in college they're in college they're looking for that um creative curious um kind of student they don't want the the rote student but that as she says the students that show up there are just waiting to be told what to do to study what they're told and do well on the test. You know, that's what they've been trained to do. As she said, they've been trained to be a student, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess she didn't really step outside of, I mean, she critiqued the, the narrative, but didn't sort of necessarily step outside it, um, I think. That's mm-hmm. what I think that's yeah. what you're picking up on. That, um, yeah. Given all these faults, um you know, like that would suggest a revolution rather than sort of uh, more of the more of the same or something slightly different, um, but maybe a paradigm shift. Um. Well, yeah, I think I think the challenge is that just doing little small changes inside the system is is like to to assume that from working inside and just doing a, a little bit of tweak here, a little bit of tweak there. Let me tell them how I see mm-hmm. children really learning and they're going to change the environment for them. That's That seems to be a bit of an unrealistic expectation. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, personally, I'm not saying everybody should be homeschooled or anything like that. Um, but there are, I think that's also why we're seeing um, you know, maybe it's just through my lens that I'm seeing this, but you know, you've got the the Alliance for Self-Directed Education you've got that are trying to bring together um, all the different different kinds of learning environments that are out there, agile learning centers, you know, Sudbury schools, all these mm-hmm. different um, and school environments, as in a place that a child goes without their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Those are also possibilities, but I was just surprised she didn't you didn't once mention any of those other possibilities. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No. But yeah, it could be that you know she was just staying in the critique mode for the most part. But and she did a fascinatingly good job mm-hmm. with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. she, yeah. Because no, I just what I just what, when you mentioned that, I mean, I think what 
I felt what she was emphasizing was how much we learn from relationships and how much we learn from things that are happening all the time. Um, so mm-hmm. not to focus on, you know, like the focus on explicit teaching is really quite misleading. Um, you know, that we're, you know, grandparents, um, parents, friends, um, relatives, you know, like these people are rich sources of learning for, for children and for adults and, you know, for all of us really throughout our lives. Um, and that it's happening all the time unconsciously and yeah, that, that we're going down the wrong path really, if we think that, you know, being explicitly taught is actually the way to go. Um, I thought, you know, cause she gave some examples at school of how, you know, the teachers actually say, oh, you know, that they're not asking questions and she says yes but are they interested in their friends and their you know like are they interested in what's happening yeah. and who likes who and they say oh yes we yeah they're very fascinated in that but we don't actually want to talk about that here that's not what we're here for um so yeah just kind of well that's yeah, it just, you know it's, as it's, we say children are always learning just maybe not learning what you're if you're trying to control it they may not be learning what you're trying to teach mm-hmm. them right they're forever. They're yeah, always yeah. Um, picking up things, right? They're always figuring things out. Um, oh, what's mm-hmm. I going to say? It was well, yeah. And when I guess also when you realize, even if you know, um, school needs to be um, in the picture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that's you don't maybe you don't have an alternative kind of school nearby or whatever. But if if you understand um, that children are always learning, and you can break that attachment to um, the school style, mm-hmm. right, you can still, um, you still be actively supporting your um, children's learning when they're at home when they're with you, you can have that um close and connected relationship with them and mm-hmm. and be learning them uh, helping them learn all the time and school and they're still learning at school the things that they're picking up so mm-hmm. what what so for a parent's perspective that would be you know not focusing on the grades the grades aren't the judge of you as a person mm-hmm. right um mm-hmm. i guess it's when we kind of talk about um kind of almost unschooling the relationship when school happens to be in the picture, right? You don't um, add your power behind the the school system and the way that's set up, right? Your mm-hmm. power is, yeah, your relationship with your child. That's what comes first and foremost. And um, mm-hmm. you're, they have a whole life, not just like school, come home, do homework, do well mm-hmm. at school. And, and that's yeah. your value yeah. as a child, right? Yeah. You yeah. can still yeah. step beyond that. So I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. I can see that from uh, that that sh- that might have been the direction that she was leaning. That that school is just something that you kind of have to put up with. Um, but they're learning all the time anyway. They're just learning what is of interest to them in, in uh-huh. their environment, right? <laughs> okay. Are there any last words that you would like to share? Um, no, I think we probably, <laughs> we go for it, yeah. <laughs> this is part of the thing. <laughs> too late now, spoken. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. Well, yeah, I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed the book. Yeah. You enjoyed it too, right? Yeah. Was, yeah. I really did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. And all I would say is is just uh, keep your critical thinking engaged, right? I mean, and that's how we enjoy reading these books for the book chats, right? Thinking about what um, they're trying to get across. Anyway, um, and, and I wanted just to tell everybody to remember that when she uses the word parenting, she means carpenter parenting. That that took me a couple of chapters to get used to. I was like, what, what? Because <laughs> when she's referring to gardener style, she uses words like relationship. And so once I got used to it, I found that lovely. That was so interesting because, you know, as we talked about earlier, as unschooling parents, we found that our relationship with our children is at the root of learning, of, of living day to day. So we when we focus on our relationships and our connection, um, our attachment, uh, everything else just blossoms from there. And and I loved her point, uh, Allison's point, maybe not in the ways that we planned or even hoped for, but in ways that are real um, for our children. And something that jumped out at me, uh, it reminded me that as I learn more and more about stories and writing, um, that's how writers describe great endings as unpredictable yet inevitable. You know, we can't anticipate with any certainty where our children's interests will take them. Yet when we look back, we so often see the threads that brought them there. Our lives and our children's lives really are great stories. So I just thought it was really cool how all these super different things like unschooling kids living as if school doesn't exist, academic research into how children learn and writing great stories. When we dive deeper into each of them, they all lead us to the same kinds of truths about being human. So I just found that really really interesting and and did enjoy the book so i want to say thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today emma as always i had a lot of fun digging into the ideas no thank you pam really enjoyed it yeah yeah um and for people who may not yet know you and your work where can they connect with you online um i've got a blog called uh, rethinkingparenting.co.uk they can Contact me there. Yeah, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the second book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Live, Create a Thriving Unschooling Home. In it, I dive into the four characteristics that I found helped unschooling flourish in our home. Curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. One reviewer wrote, Really enjoyed this short and sweet book. It has marvelous one-liners, and though I'm not an underliner, I found myself underlining on every page. Another said, I believe it would benefit any homeschooler or parent to read this book as it re-emphasizes the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child in the learning process. I plan to reread this book. It is rich and full of gems. Give yourself some time to absorb it before rushing into unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.